obviously Tenaris is working at the intersection between energy and steel. And so the first thing that you need to do if you want to have women, with in my opinion, are very important because they create a very diverse, is to make them know that they can have a career in this kind of business. In many cases, you see young women to be kind of not knowing that there is a possibility of going in this kind of business. And so that's why I mentioned Madison at the beginning, because this is a great success story that, I mean, we got a young lady from a community in which we work, and we got her convinced to take an internship with us and move forward. And she is doing a great career. So I believe that this is going to be the example. I believe that people need to see that something that they don't imagine can happen. So we are working a lot to bring in women, train them, and let them grow in this geography in the U.S., but also in other geographies. And then the other thing is that during the life of a woman, there are moments in which her dedication to the job can be limited in time, but not in intensity. So what we're trying to do is to make sure that even in those periods, women can actually contribute, and this is not taking anything else away from their career. I believe that these two components will give us the possibility to incorporate women. And I believe that this is going to be a great addition, and especially in the industrial world, which is historically being dominated by male presence. The possibility of having young women to work with us is very important for us. We are focusing on them. We are working a lot. I'm personally very glad to see that we start having results. You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Barrel, a podcast where we interview leaders in the energy space to uncover and find out more about their careers and life journeys. Today, we have on the podcast, Luca Zanotti, who is the president of the USA at Teneris where he is responsible for the company's welded and seamless operation in the United States. Throughout his career as a consultant in business development, in planning and administration, and now in oil and gas, there has been a big guiding tool that has tremendous his career so far and how he operates, and that is active listening. And so we're gonna get a little bit into that and hear from his advice as well as his career journey. He previously served as a president of Teneres Dalmine, SPA, and he began his career as a junior engineer in Italy after graduating from the Politecnico di Milano with a degree in electrical engineering. He later obtained his MBA from the SDA Bocconi Business School in Milan. Luca, we look forward to getting to know more about your journey and thank you so much for saying yes to us on LinkedIn after we messaged you and here you are on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. Well, Luca, I know everybody is wanting to learn more about you and hear more about your story. So we really want to start from the very beginning. You were born and raised in a little town outside Italy, which I'm sure was absolutely beautiful. You had a good and loving childhood until, unfortunately, things didn't really go your way. Your father was diagnosed with cancer, which, you know, you were just at the age of 16. This is really difficult time for people and anybody to really be dealing with. And unfortunately, he passed away. And then a short time later, it wasn't much longer, and then your mother was diagnosed with cancer as well. But fortunately, she survived it, and she lived a long and wonderful life afterwards. 
But a lot of people deal with this early on. A lot of people deal with unfortunate death in the family early on in their lives, and it really impacts them in a very negative way. Can you share with us a little bit about those difficult years and how that shaped you into the person you are today and how you really pushed through those situations? Yeah, sure. As you said, I was born in Bergamo. Bergamo is a nice town close to Milan, and nice coincidence is that it is also very close to Tenaris Dalmine, where I ended up being the leader 25 years into my career. I grew up in a normal family. I mean, mother, father, I have a sister, which is five years younger than myself. And everything was pretty good up until I was 16. And as, as you said, my father got diagnosed with cancer and unfortunately passed away in my short after a little while. My mom also got cancer. And certainly this was something that shaped the way I am today. In shape because I learned the hard way there are a lot of variables in life that you cannot control. Something can turn sour pretty soon without you having anything to do, having everything having, having done something wrong. So this was certainly something that I learned and I believe that this unfortunately helped me a lot during my career. Today's episode is brought to you by Veral Energy Solutions. Did you know that Veral has been around since 1947? They're originally known for their drill bits, but through several acquisitions, investments, and rebranding, they now offer a diversified portfolio in drilling and completions. One of their core competencies is actually global manufacturing of consumable downhole products. They solve the industry supply chain problems. We've chosen to partner with Veral because they simply get it. They focus on their employees, they're committed to diversity and inclusion, and they know their only true sustainable advantage is their people. To learn more and stay up to date, please go to www.veral.com. Veral Energy Solutions, beyond technology, beyond normal. So from the ages of 17 to 25, you know, you were trying to figure out life. I think those are also very monumental years in one's life when we're trying to figure out what do we want to do? What are our values? What do we see ourselves doing with our careers, with our life? And that was a period in your life where, you know, you just didn't know what you wanted to do. You weren't sure what path you were going to take, whether you would, I don't even like back then when you think about it, do you think you would ever see yourself as a president of Tenaris one day? And, you know, tell us a little bit about that time frame, because I think sometimes people see you or people in your position and think that everything was just wonderful and they graduated university at a young age and life just happened and their career was just on an upward incline the entire time. Can you tell us a little bit about that time frame and then why did you decide to go into engineering after all? Look, well, that was not me. I mean, I had a kind of convoluted career, especially at the beginning. And certainly, I would have never thought to be in the position in which I am today. I actually, since I was born close to the mill, the big mill that we have in Dalmin, Italy, I was driving by at a certain point in time, I was driving by every day because I, I had to go to school. So I was driving by and I was wondering myself, what are they doing in this mill close to the place where I live? But anyway, I believe that some people have clear vocation and some don't. And I believe to the latter category. So when I was young, I was and probably as a consequence of also what I lived with my dad passing away and my mom problem. I was kind of confused and curious, I would uh, I would say. 
And I believe that this is pretty normal in life, especially at a young age. But anyway, getting back to the why engineering, I believe that the main reason why I went to the engineering is for Ricardo. Ricardo is my cousin. We are same age. We went to school from the very beginning together. And so he decided that engineering was a good career for me. And I also was in agreement with him because I thought that engineering was challenging enough. And for a guy that didn't know what to do exactly later on, it would have been a career that would have, it was kind of safe harbor. It's a career that would provide you many different opportunities. So I said, uh, okay, why not? Why don't try engineering? I think to put it into context, especially for those that are listening in North America, when you get an engineering degree in Italy, it's not an undergrad for three to four years. I mean, you spent five to six years before you get a diploma, but you also get your master's as well during that time. You mentioned that you were good at studying and you were passionate about engineering, and you kind of just spoke about that as well. But before graduating, you actually decided to join the military. So your path is not just, like you said, it's not straightforward at all. Can you tell us about what made you decide to join the Army and what happened through those years? Yeah, sure. As I was saying, I was passionate of many things, but nothing in particular. So I was a good student, but not very let's say, looking forward to being a role of engineer or technical role necessarily. And when I was approaching, at the end of my engineering study, I was a kind of disengaged. And so my mom told me, hey, Luca, you can do whatever you want to do in your life, but you need to do something. You're certainly not staying at home, scratching your belly. And so I thought that the adrenaline, the high pace that the military would have provided would have, would have been at that time a good age, a good fit for me. And so I decided to enroll. I was about finishing my engineering career. I was to be deployed in Somalia, but I got injured in the training, as in many cases happen, unfortunately, and I was withdrawn from active services. And so there I really understood that I would have spent my rest of the life behind the desk. And so I said, okay, let's find a different desk than the US, sorry, the Italian Army desk. I went back to engineering. And I finished up my studies and I went into business. When you went back to engineering, like since you weren't passionate to begin with, did you feel like, okay, I guess since I know it, I'm going to go into it? Or did you all of a sudden feel like, okay, maybe this would be something that I will enjoy now experiencing what I did in the Army? Well, the Army was certainly a nice experience. It provided me a lot of learning. But yeah, the point is was that being in the army, I could have not have done what I wanted to do. So, I mean, I said, okay, let's go back. Let's finish engineering. Let's go back to the original intent. It's going to provide me a lot of different opportunities. And really, that was the case. I'm not repenting myself of having continued down that route. What I love about your story is just when we first interviewed you to try to understand how you got to where you are today, we were fascinated by how just your path is like unlike anyone I've ever heard. In terms of you were curious, you tried different things, it didn't work out, you didn't let that stop you, or really, you didn't have like a list of I'm going to be a president one day, I'm going to have this successful career. You were just kind of taking life as it went, trying things out. But at the end of the day, you were always, you knew what you didn't want to do. And that's yeah. super key. And can you give us a little bit of maybe some advice that you would give for those young men and women who don't know what they want with their careers, who maybe got a degree that they're not passionate about, but here they are with their diploma in hand. And, you know, what kind of advice would you have when you're trying to think about what is the next step, whether you switch 
career path, you switch jobs, you switch maybe a degree, study something else. What is some advice that you would give us? Look, first of all, I will tell you that, especially at the young age, not knowing exactly what you want to be, what you want to do, in my opinion, is pretty normal. I know there are people that are blessed. They know exactly they want to be a doctor. I'm very glad that they know exactly, but in my case, that was not the case. And I know that there are many people that are like I me. Mean, in my case, I didn't know what I didn't want to be, but I could have been many different things. So my first suggestion is, guys, it is normal, in my opinion. So don't be pressured by the world if you are, I mean, growing up in a place where everybody seems to know exactly what they want to do, how to do it, and they have everything planned till the end of their career. Because I learned the hard way that things can go sour. And then the most important thing is that you develop the capability of being flexible and adapting. So this is my first piece of advice. The second is trying to find an environment, a company, for example, that provide you the opportunity of keep on learning, changing your roles, experiencing within the same company, because this provides you the possibility of changing, but without changing all the variables at the same time, mm. which is, by the way, something that I didn't do. But for example, in Tenaisa, we put a lot of importance in this, let's say, young stage of the people careers. For example, I remember a young lady, Madison, she lived in Bay City, where we have a big plant here in the United States. She was the winner of our scholarship. She did intern with us. She finishes her degree and then she starts working. She has been exposed to international, let's say, culture. She has been in different industrial roles. And now she's still working with us. But I believe that it was great for her because she had the opportunity to change many things, remaining in kind of contained space. And when you're young, this is important. And the first piece of advice I would say is be ready to work hard. I'm a strong believer of the 10,000 hours story. And I believe that if you work hard, you're going to learn something that maybe you don't realize it is important in the moment you are, let's say, executing or working, but it's going to be useful for your life later on. So this would be the three advices that I will give to a young Luca Zanotti. I love that. I think what's really important is you also mentioned the variable piece and not changing many variables. And I think a lot of times we want to jump to something so quickly and then we end up changing five or 10 different things in our lives during that moment. And we end up getting anxiety and stress. And we have such a problem nowadays with mental health. And I really do believe that that does really align with these variables that you had mentioned and keeping them limited. So thank you for sharing that advice. And this really goes to my next question to you, which is about, you talked about adaptability and like different cultures. After you graduated, you had the opportunity to go to Southeast Asia and then another opportunity to actually work in Argentina. This is very different environment than where you grew up. How did you handle the culture shock of like going to these different countries? And did you ever experience any difficulty in really feeling like you were part of the environment or part of the culture? And what advice do you have for those that want to work in a global company, but are maybe worried about, you know, those big moves of going somewhere international? Well, in my case, I would not talk about shock. I was really never shocked. I was more kind of curious. And obviously, it is, and this is the advice that I will give to anybody, 
It is good that you have different exposure to different cultures when you are young, because you are, in my opinion, more flexible. Maybe you are on your own, so it is easy or easier to get adapted to the different cultures. My opinion, it was always a great learning opportunity. Obviously, when you work in some environment, things are different. For example, you get to understand that in some Asian countries, a negotiation is never over. And the simple fact that you execute a contract doesn't mean that you finish that because, I mean, negotiation is part of a relationship that goes well beyond the contract. Or you find yourself, I don't know, celebrating with your teammates with a beer and eating what you think are peanuts, but then you realize that the peanuts have wings. And so it is part of the adaptation that I was talking at the beginning. It is important that you are exposed to these experiences when you're young. When I went to Argentina, then Argentina is a much similar culture to mine. I found I work with mainly engineers over there that are very similar to the, let's say, engineers that I've worked with when I was in Europe. And even when I came to the United States, same kind of culture, not big different. Obviously, things get more complicated when not only you need to get adapted to the new culture, but also your family. But in that case, I was lucky because my family is very diverse. My wife is half German, half Italian. My kid was born in Argentina. So we are a mix of everything. And I believe that we can fit pretty good in many different environments. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technip FMC. Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward, and they back that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition, emerging materials, and digital industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like iProduction, iComplete, eMission, and iEPCI, go to technipfmc.com. And now, back to the show. Thank you for sharing. I think, like you mentioned, those international roles, you just have to take a little piece of everything that you learn, adapting. It's good. Getting out of your comfort zone and learning something new with every assignment. So thank you for sharing. And, you know, now that you are at the president's you know, level, what are some qualities that you think make a good leader? You're surrounded by a lot of executives and people of influences at conferences and board meetings. That is who you mingle with. What is something that you find that maybe everybody who you look up to in those leadership positions have in common that make them successful as leaders? To me, leadership is a kind of toolbox. And you have different tools in this toolbox and you use depending on the situation and depending how you see them fit. So, I mean, it's, it's very difficult for me to answer thoroughly to your question because there are different things that, depending on the situation, I saw leader using. But I can tell you what I like from the leaders that I work with. And to tell you the truth, I'm, I'm trying to emulate. And I would say that probably one of the most important is their capability of listening. 
in my understanding, listening is very important. It's very important for you because at a certain point in time in your career, you're not going to be the most expert or the most skillful in all the things that you are you're managing. So listen to the people that work with you, the people that know is very important. But it's also important for them because while you're listening, you create empathy. And I believe that this is a good way for your organization to buy in in what you really want to do, what you really want to implement. The second thing that I like from leaders are their capability of keeping it simple. In management, in most of the cases, we don't deal with rocket science. So it is important for me that leaders are capable to simplify facts and be able to communicate. And even more important, they are able to explain why something has to be done or why an organization needs a change. Explaining the why to me is very important because it provides the people that are working with you with the latitude of acting on their own because they know why they're doing something rather than what to do exactly, etc. It is important also, that one, but in my opinion, it's basic that they understand the why. And then, I mean, I like people, I like leaders that decide. Obviously, you always need a lot of, I'm a kind of analytical guy, and so I try to get all the information I get, I can get. But there is a moment in which you need to make a decision, and decisions, in many cases, are not necessarily good or bad. There are many cases in between. What is important to me is that you make the decision, you enact the decision that you made, and then you own it. Mm-hmm. What I say owning means that if it is not a perfect decision, as in many cases is the case, you're going to fix it while you move forward. It doesn't need necessarily to be the perfect decision, but it is important that you move forward. So if I can summarize, I believe that these are the three features that I like from leaders. And I had the opportunity to work with great leaders that have all these three features. And I'm trying to also learn from them. I'm so glad you shared that because the listening piece is definitely something that I think we can all take from and work on. You also mentioned about making decisions and making quick decisions, and that's important as well. But in that realm of making decisions, is there ever a time where you're looking back, maybe you did something and it was quote unquote, like a failure in your career where it was a learning lesson? We hear a lot of the times that you learn the most from your failures than what you've actually done right. Do you feel that that's true? Yes. Absolutely. In my case, if I look back, probably my improvement opportunity will be in the use of patience. And I'm going to tell you why. As soon as I finished college, I'm an electronic engineer by background, so I was offered the opportunity to work in a very nice company, right in my field. But unfortunately, given or due to my impatience, I didn't make my first paycheck because I left before the end of the month. And this is something that also, obviously I don't write this in my bio, but this is also something that happened a few years later with another company. And I believe that this lack of patience cost me the opportunity or didn't give me the opportunity to learn something that maybe would have changed my career going forward. And anyway, would have been very useful for me later on in my career. So my piece of room for improvement is using more patience. I'm kind of guy that likes action, likes high pace. Sometimes, especially when I was young, I was changing too much in the short time and probably 
looking backward, I was not really able to manage all the complexity related to, the, to those changes. That's really great advice. And I think especially now with instant gratification that we all deal with, we want things quicker and quicker with technology. And we're used to, you know, ordering something on Amazon and it needs to be here within 24 hours. And we treat our company or our careers the same way where you just get, you know, you want that next promotion right away. And it's good to just slow down. And like you said, have patience because you never know what it could have turned into. And you left just, you know, a few weeks before maybe something could have happened, et cetera. And so with your, you know, very successful and long career, and you have been through so much in all different areas, in different roles, et cetera, how do you take feedback? And what advice do you have on, we are going to get feedback from below us, from above us in reviews, annual reviews, et cetera. But how do you compartmentalize the feedback? Do you take all of it? How do you analyze which ones you should take, which ones not? Because we deal with this a lot where we're constantly getting feedback and people are just trying to change all the time. They said, I speak too loud. They say, I do this. They say, I'm too quiet. And how do you deal with feedback and how do you kind of get better and better, but know when to pick it? Now you're getting into very personal stuff here, but I can tell you what I did. I mean, the way I dealt with feedback was mainly related to the people that were providing me feedbacks. So I tend to, let's say, follow the feedbacks of the people that I trust the most. And this is still at this stage, it is not different. Why is that so? Because I was assuming, and maybe wrongly so, that those are the people that know me the best and they care about me. Obviously, I would suggest that you need to take into consideration all the feedbacks that you receive, but with different ways. Because you're right. I mean, you can have many feedbacks and in many cases, it is a kind of difficult to create a synthesis. In some cases, you need to do something and the opposite of the same thing. But in my case specifically, looking backward, I think that it would have been difficult for me, depending, especially when I was younger, to listen to any feedback. So I believe that me providing myself a feedback would have been a kind of waste of time when I was young. And certainly this was not good. And this is something that I learned how to deal with. But when I was younger, certainly I was not the most available guy to receive many feedbacks. I would say you're definitely not alone in that, as I feel like everybody who is young, if I look back just when I was in college and high school and the feedback I'd get, I'd be like, you don't know me. Like, you don't need to tell me that. So I don't think that that's abnormal to definitely not want to take feedback when you're definitely younger. I've always experienced that. Everybody says, I can tell you, I can tell you what's going to happen, but you need to experience what's going to happen for you to actually, you know, understand what the consequences of that. So I think that that's a very normal feeling towards that. And I really want to ask you, something around a recent post you made. So we had a big event in March. Tenaris was a huge supporter. And you posted the wonderful women that work at Tenaris that came to the women's leadership event. And it was just very inspiring to have somebody like you really show value in your employees and especially, you know, D&I within Tenaris. What are you doing at Tenaris to ensure that, you know, there is that equal space for everybody to have it opportunity to take on those larger roles within your organization and to really, you know, be focused on that. Is there any any initiatives that y'all have currently or anything that you're working on in particular just to make a more inclusive environment? Sure. I believe that there are, uh, let's say, many initiatives that we are putting 
in place and that we did put in place in the past. Obviously, Tenaris is working at the intersection between energy and steel. And so the first thing that you need to do if you want to have women, which in my opinion are very important because they create a very diverse, is to make them know that they can have a career in this kind of business. In many cases, you see young women to be kind of not knowing that there is a possibility of going in this kind of business. And so that's why I mentioned Madison at the beginning, because this is a great success story that, I mean, we got a young lady from a community in which we work, and we got her convinced to take an internship with us and move forward. And she is doing a great career. And so I believe that this is going to be the example. I believe that people need to see that something that they don't imagine can happen. So we are working a lot to bring in women, train them, and let them grow in this geography in the U.S., but also in other geographies. And then the other thing is that during the life of a woman, there are moments in which her dedication to the job can be limited in time, but not in intensity. So what we're trying to do is to make sure that even in those periods, women can actually contribute, and this is not taking anything else away from their career. I believe that these two components will give us the possibility to incorporate women. And I believe that this is going to be a great addition, and especially in the industrial world, which is historically being dominated by male presence. The possibility of having young women to work with us is very important for us. We are focusing on them. We are working a lot. I'm personally very glad to see that we start having results. Well, thank you so much for sharing. To your point, representation does matter. And so the fact that you guys are working on how can women see themselves in the steel industry, in your industry, in your company, and just showcasing that it is possible. Because to your point, a lot of younger women, maybe high school, early university, they don't know that this is a possibility for them because they think it's just male dominated only. And so it's really great initiatives and we're really thankful for the support Tenaris has shown us as well. And so thank you for sharing your story with us today. You're very inspiring. What I love the most about your story is that it doesn't matter how life kind of brings you in different paths. Don't stop, keep going, keep learning, and you never know where you'll end up. And so your story is just perfect example of that. So thank you for being on the podcast today, Luca. Thanks a lot. Pleasure. Thank you, Luca. And if you like this podcast, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment, follow us, and stay tuned for the next one. Thank you. Thank you.